verses 3, 7 through 19. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those who he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Emily. Um, so yeah, we're in, as I said, this is a bit of a different morning. If you just came in, or you, if you kind of sh- struggle to get in here this morning, you know, perhaps, you know, people cut you off or you, you know, really tried to get through a barricade and there were cones up and, you know, different emotions maybe arose toward other people. As we start right now, let me ask you, what comes to mind when you think of people in general? What comes to mind? I I just looked up on Stitch. Statistically, there are now about 7 billion people in the world. There's, there's argument about what date, what exact moment we actually hit that level. But um, what comes to mind when you think of people? Well, today we're going to be spending some time in Mark. If you're, if you're new or if you don't know, we've been marching through the gospel according to Mark. And um, today we see Jesus forming a people. And so um, if you will, go ahead and meet me in Mark chapter 3. Um, we're going to be in verse 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, if you can uh, hold your hand up high. Um, yeah, hold it up there. And um, some people will get you one. And if you don't own a Bible, you do now. Okay, keep this one. And if you prefer the Bible in Spanish, go ahead and um, 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 you know, ask that. Go ahead and indicate that. We have Bibles in Spanish and English as well because we want to make sure everyone can read the Bible. So yeah, again, hold your hand up if you need one. And if you don't own a Bible that you can read and understand, please keep this one. So as I said, what do you think of when you think of people? Okay, Jesus is forming a people. In fact, what we'll see is that Jesus calls and centers and commissions a people to follow him. His people, his community of people. But what do you think of when you think of people? Is there a particular people group that maybe come to mind? You think of, oh, when I think of people, this is what I think of. Um, perhaps you think of Matt, uh, Matt Harding, I think it is, right? The guy that, you know, went around the world and did a little dance. I can't really imitate it, but, right, he did this kind of little, little silly dance, and then other people danced with him. He went all over the world dancing, and he kind of did that to, to show different types of people. How about here in Tucson? Tucson, Arizona, downtown Tucson, perhaps on the way in, you saw different types of people, maybe some different characters or writing different 
kinds of bikes and modes of transportation. Who are the people of Tucson? I have a few pictures here just to help us kind of um, generate our understanding of who the people are of Tucson. So if you can go ahead and bring some of these um, pictures up there. This is an old picture I found of downtown Tucson, perhaps in the, um, in the 1960s there, you can see. So that's Tucson, downtown Tucson, um, looks somewhat similar, actually. And then, yeah, I go again, um, this next picture, so that's um, El Chichero, right? Birthplace of the Chimichanga, um, right there, so El Chichero, and then you have some mariachi, um, you know, mariachi band playing, and, and so there's some of the, the culture and the people of Tucson, and then next you see, um, yeah, that's the, the, the 4th Avenue street there. Um, that happens twice a year. It's impossible to park at my house when this happens. And so you see thousands and thousands of people kind of convene on one street and go down there, Tucson, Arizona, 4th Avenue. It's a pretty crazy scene. So you've got the street fair. And then you also have some diversity, right? The rodeo. Um, if you're new to Tucson, you've never been here, or maybe you just learned this year for the first time that we actually get rodeo break. So nowhere else, I don't know, in the, in the country, you get a few days off for the rodeo. And there's a rodeo parade. And then you go on there. You got right here, this is Armory Park, like literally a stone's throw from where we are. It's an elderly community typically get together there and learn like square dancing and shuffleboard and all these different things. If you've never been there, I encourage you to go. But again, you see the diversity in our like small community right here. There's elderly people and different people that can go there and learn how to dance in the Armory Park community. And there are other people. Go ahead. Next there, you see there, you see the All Souls Procession, if you're not familiar. One of the biggest um, processions to, um, during the Dia de los Muertos happens right here in downtown Tucson. And, and it starts actually, again, right here, like a stone's throw from where we are right now. And, and, it, and there's been a lot of conversation throughout our city of the people and different people groups talking about who we are and what we celebrate and what does that mean and are we honoring different cultures well or not and um, another group of people you may have seen go ahead is the homeless community there's been a huge conversation right now on that area specifically on stone and church in different parts of downtown area of the homeless community are those the people of Tucson and then a couple more here you see Again, this is right here. That's at the Children's Museum, right across the street from us. There's a like a f 5K run, and everybody's happy and celebrating there, and it's this fun environment, and it's nice, and I'm sure, you know, 70 degrees, and it's this perfect environment right there. And then go to the next one. You see there's also, though, a lot of kind of tension amongst people, right? And there's a, a, um, a protest, and people saying a better world is possible. I don't know what they're specifically protesting there, but you see the contrast there. The, even the conflict, there was a celebratory 5K race, and then you see something like this. And then the, the last one. You see kind of a, a, an artwork done, a picture of Tucson. The people of Tucson. You see the street fair, or the streetcar, and you know, different things. So again, let me ask you, who are the people of Tucson? And even what do these pictures 
What did what we're talking about right now, what does that have to do with Jesus? Well, as we've seen from the very beginning here, as we get into his word, Jesus proclaimed from the very beginning, the beginning of the good news of God, the gospel, Jesus, the son of God, the king, ushering in his kingdom. And then today we see integral in what he's doing in establishing his kingdom is forming a people, calling a people, centering a people, commissioning a people, his people. So that's what we're going to see in our time today. And let's keep this idea in our minds. Who are the people of the world? Who are the people of Tucson? Who are the people of Redemption Tucson? Who are we together as Jesus' people? Let's pray and then we'll get into his word in Mark 3. Lord, we do thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for this day. Um, I know some probably had a hard time coming here, maybe didn't expect all the obstacles, but I trust that you have in this room whomever you would have here, Lord, to hear, for us together to hear what it means to be your people. Lord, I trust, as always, that some of us need to be kind of brought low. Lord, we need to be humbled. Lord, some of us need to be elevated and encouraged through the work of Jesus, or to have hope, and, and, and I trust that in our time right now that you will shape us as your people. Lord, I pray that again, wherever we're coming from, that you would teach us through your word. I pray that, um, Lord, that I would decrease and that you would increase. Lord, I pray that um, um, we, we trust that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. So now as we come under the authority of your scripture, I pray that we will have faith developed and, 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 and grown and nurtured through our time in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, let's, just, let's just kind of begin here. Let's pick up in, in Mark chapter 3, verse 7. And let me just say, before we get into um, verse 13 there, that's where Jesus really starts to form a people. What the author here, Mark, does in verses, 17, in verses 7 through 12 is he's basically giving us a summary Okay, he's basically setting us up to remember all that Jesus has been doing and then to understand who Jesus really is and then to be more equipped to understand what it means that he's forming a people. Okay, so um, in verse 7, he just picks up, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And so we're here in Mark chapter 3 and what the author's doing in the very beginning, it was really focused on Israel. It was really focused on northern Israel and what Jesus was doing kind of in a local area. But here we see that he's kind of setting us up to understand that that the work of God, that Jesus' proclamation of his kingdom is now going beyond just a local centralized area. In fact, the scope is the entire world. And so some of the places that are listed, the author wants us to know that, that, that the work of Jesus proclaiming and establishing his kingdom and even beginning to form his people is that, that the scope is the entire world. That it's expanding. That Jesus' kingdom is not just for one little local area, but it's going all throughout. And then, picking up right there, it says um, in, uh, in, verse, in verse 9, or sorry, in verse 8, he says, When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. 
right? So the crowds are coming, right? That's a good thing, right? Crowds, more people. People are hearing about Jesus. They're hearing what he's doing. So all the crowds are coming. And, but, but what does Jesus say in verse 9? He says, he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he, he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And what we've learned throughout Mark is that the crowds are not always a good thing. Right? I'll, I'll admit to you, as a pastor of a young church, a new church, even this event like this, like Clovia, I talked with the, with the organizer, I talked with the director of the entire thing. And again, this, just so you know, this isn't really like a Christian event. It's not, they're not really thinking. In fact, they didn't even know that our church met here because we didn't meet here this time last year. And part of me wanted to be like, hey, we're, we're drawing a crowd here, right? We're, we're trying to get more people to come, right? We're trying to build this thing up and you're in our way. You're an obstacle to what we're doing. And honestly, if you look up and you talk to other pastors and other churches, it can be hard sometimes to preach the real news of Je- the real message of Jesus, the real good news of Jesus that often, almost always includes the bad news of who we are, of our sin, our fallenness, our brokenness, to, to call us to respond, to repent, to follow Jesus, to lay down our lives, and to trust Him. Sometimes it's hard because it's in conflict with the desire to draw a crowd. And it's like, oh, is, is saying this going to make people want to go away? But I constantly come back to Jesus' authority. That this is His church. That He's building and forming His people. And He's not worried about more people coming. He doesn't get all excited and be like, oh yes, they're coming. Let's do more things so more people will come. In fact, the crowds, time and time again in Mark, are really a negative thing. Because the people are coming with their own agenda. And if Jesus was like a lot of us, and he's like, oh, man, I'm going I'm to switch a little bit of what I'm saying. I'm going to switch a little bit of what I'm doing so more and more people will come. So, so they'll like what I'm doing so they won't try to hinder me, but they'll actually exalt me. But he doesn't do that. He stays steadfast. He's confident. He's authoritative to his mission and his vision. And he's forming his people. And the crowds are constantly a hindrance. In fact, they, sometimes they try to control it. Right? They're like, Jesus, come do your tricks. Do all your magic tricks. And, you know, heal people. And do your little dance. And do all your stuff. And Jesus just stays steadfast. He stays committed to what he's doing. And here they're closing in on him. And they even try to crush him. Right? Like mob mentality. And in the future, we'll see in Mark that the crowds are so committed to their own agenda that they'll even yell out, crucify him. They want to put Jesus on the cross. And yet he is authoritatively doing his work. And in fact, you see that continue. And this, this is, again, somewhat of a summary of what we've seen so far. Um, picking up in verse 11 there, he had healed many, and in fact, he even... Um, cast out unclean spirits. And every time he did that, whenever he cast out a demon, which has happened a few times now, as we've seen in Mark, Jesus commands them, they rightly say, you're the son of God, right? They're the only people, or the only things in the entire gospel of Mark until the very end. They're the only ones who rightly see who Jesus is, is the demons. 
the fallen angels, the enemies of God, they constantly say, you are the son of God. But what does Jesus do? He strictly orders them. He actually kind of, in the Greek, what he, what he says is he says, he says, shut your mouth. He says, you will not be given permission to go out and advance my name. He says, he strictly orders them not to make him known. And again, we see that and we're like, why not? Isn't it a good thing for Jesus' fame to grow and build? Well, no, because according to his plan and his purposes, he's not going to let some demons be the ones who proclaim his name. In fact, right now, as we switch and we start to see that Jesus will send out his followers, his people, according to his terms, according to his agenda. So these demons are saying who he is, and he's like, no, 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 you don't get to advance my name. You don't get to proclaim my kingdom. And so he orders them to be quiet, and he sends them away. And now again, what we see here is Jesus starts to form a people. Picking up in verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. Oh, sorry, I've already gone through that. Pick up with me in verse 13. Jesus went up to the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. Okay, so he called his disciples, he went away with them, and now he withdraws again, he retreats, and he starts to call people who he wants to come. And they came to him. Again, you see the authority of Jesus. Is that at all confusing to you? Jesus calls the people to follow him. He's not sitting there biting his nails. He's not saying, oh man, I hope people will come. More and more crowds are coming. I hope they come. No, he authoritatively calls people to follow him. And in fact, here he starts to single out some people. He starts to appoint the apostles. You might be confused by this because, you know, there's the disciples and then the apostles. Okay, the disciples are the people who, who, who are following him. They're crowds. It says they're some, they're all disciples. They're followers. That word disciple means followers of Jesus. But then there are more and more. Right? There are big crowds of like 70 at some point it says. And there are huge crowds of disciples following him. But here, of those people who are gathering and following him, he specifically calls and appoints a select few. He calls the apostles. Right in verse 14, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And then we'll get into who he calls in a minute there in verse 16. But do you see there what Jesus is doing? As he's forming a people, he calls them, he centers them, and then he commissions them. So he calls the people. He authoritatively says, you, come and be with me. Now he predominantly does that in our day through other people. Romans chapter 10 talks about this. He'll use his word. Sometimes he'll use different means. It might be an emotion, a feeling. It might be an event that you're at. It might be a Sunday service. But usually through the proclamation of the gospel, of the good news that though we've turned away from God, though we've turned our backs on him, though we've sinned against him, that he has sent his son, Jesus, to come and to call and to form a people and, and, and that through placing our faith in Him, our trust in Him, we might be restored in relationship with God. That we might be um, restored as His 
sons and daughters through placing our faith in Jesus. And then from there that we live our lives out shaped by His grace, shaped by His undeserved favor, living all of life in that way. So He calls and then He centers. Okay, He calls these people, He calls you and me, not just to come, not just to say a prayer and then to kind of go on from there and try to live our lives on our own, but to be centered on the gospel. How many of you have heard this, heard this illustration or a picture of, of a hub, the hub of a wheel, that the good news of God, the gospel, is the hub. It's central to every facet of life that we spend time with Jesus, depending on Him in prayer, remembering that all of life is shaped by not what we do to earn His favor, but what He has done to give us the position as sons and daughters. And then from there, He commissions. And here you see he specifically commissions the apostles. Okay, now let me just say, because different denominations, different churches in our day will have the, um, will say, I am the apostle so-and-so, or different people will, will maybe have the title of apostle. We don't believe that exists today. Okay, we think that the office of apostle, the word specifically means sent one or appointed one. And we believe that that means that you were specifically, physically, verbally called and appointed by Jesus. And that there were 13 apostles. They're the first apostles, the 12, right, that we're about to read. And then the apostle Paul. He introduces himself as an apostle, one who was born at a, at a wrong time or untimely born. That after Jesus um, died on the cross and then rose from the grave, he appeared to Paul and he appointed him to be the apostle or the sent one to the Gentile church. Okay, So the apostles were those who were specifically called and appointed and sent by Jesus physically. And so that doesn't happen anymore today. There are no more apostles with a capital A, the, the title of apostle. But Jesus is still in the business of calling and centering and then commissioning his people. And those are the disciples, the followers of Jesus. And he does this. That's what we hear week in and week out. We gather in our communities. We gather at church and we hear and respond to the good news of Jesus, right? That's why we say we're gospel-centered and outward-focused. That primary to Jesus' mission, He calls us and He sends us. And so now as we kind of hunker down in the end of our time, we're going to read these names, right? Sometimes in the Bible, sometimes pastors want to avoid the names. You want to kind of, there's not a lot to learn, you think, like, you know, I'm going to go read, you know, if you've ever read the early, kind of the first pages in the Old Testament, especially like the book of Numbers or First and Second Kings or the Chronicles, name after name after name. And sometimes we think there's nothing to learn from them. Well, there is. There always is. All right. The word of God is profitable for teaching. It's, uh, there's, all, there's no word wasted in God's word. And specifically here today, we have a lot to learn picking up in verse um, in verse 16, from these names specifically. Because we talked about Jesus calls and centers and commissions the people, but who? Who are those people? Who were the people in this day? And then we have a lot to learn now, almost 2,000 years later. Who are the people today 
that Jesus is calling and forming. Okay, let's, let's read these names and we'll learn some things from it. Okay, in verse 16 of chapter 3, he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Thoanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, the sons, uh, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And that Simon, the better word there for Simon is, is the zealot. Simon, the, the, the zealot. And we'll talk about that because these names are packed with information, okay? One thing we see in Jesus is that Jesus is restoring and reorienting people. Do you see Simon, who is now called Peter? Do you know the story about him at all? His name is Simon, and he betrayed Jesus. He's someone, I won't go into all this, but he, he proclaimed all these things. He was kind of a loud mouth. He's always like, Jesus, I got your back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defend you. And, and he does all these things, but when push came to shove, he denied Jesus three times. And then when Jesus restored him as his follower, in fact, in, in kind of an exchange three times, he asked Simon, or he asked Peter a question, and Peter responded, you see the very intentional restorative work of Jesus and then when he finally says, your name is Peter, for that means rock, Petra, the rock, he says, on you I will build my church. Jesus renames, reorients. So as he calls the people, he gives meaning, he gives purpose. He turns what is broken into healing and purpose. And he does that with Simon. And then these other two guys who... Um, you see there James and, and his brother. I love that the, that the name is Boanerges. I mean, that's kind of a ridiculous sounding name. I love that it means sons of thunder. I don't, right? But you're like, Boanerges, that's kind of a n- nerdy thing. But these guys get to be called the sons of thunder. Right? If you remember, Jesus called them away from their profession and their family and what they had done. They were fishermen and now they get to have the idea Identity, the very, I think, very powerful identity is sons of thunder. Okay, Jesus is calling a people and he's reshaping them. He's reorienting them. He's centering them in their very purpose. And then lastly, what else do we see from here? Again, in our 21st century day, we would just kind of read and go on there. And he called Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot. And uh, oh yeah, who else was a couple before that? Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew. Do you remember Matthew, the tax collector? Do you remember when Jesus called Levi? The people flipped out. A tax collector? We hate those guys. Those guys are, those guys are, are they've integrated all of life. They're culturally Jewish, but they're um, oppressing the Jewish people. They've, they've kind of just turned away from God. They're not really Jewish people. You can't call one of them to follow you. The tax collectors are horrible. And you know who hated them the most? Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were vocally, openly opposed to the tax collectors. Right? They hated Rome. They were there to 
physically through any means possible save rescue God's people from the oppression of Rome. They hated Rome. And more than that, they hated their own people who had married the Roman way of life. The tax collectors who had said, yeah, we're we're culturally Jewish, but we're just going to kind of embrace the ways of Rome. We're going to oppress our own people by taxing them and stealing from them. We're going to fill our own pockets with the money of our own people. We'll give most of it to Rome, but we'll keep some of it for ourselves. That was the tax collectors. And then the zealots hated each other. But who does Jesus call to be his people? Both the tax collector and the zealot. If you remember last week, how did we end it? Jesus was facing opposition for the first time to the point of death. And who conspired against him? The Herodians and the Pharisees. People that hated each other, that were opposed to each other, but who were united in their opposition to the good news of Jesus. That Jesus' gospel, the good news of what it means to follow Jesus, is offensive to every way of life. The religious and the irreligious, the you know, wildcat and the sun devil, the, you know, whatever it might be, the, the different people that we saw up here in the pictures of Tucson, you have people that are opposing one another, and the good news of Jesus is offensive to both. But, in this next passage that we're in today, you see that the restorative work of Jesus includes both. That the people that Jesus is forming are, the, are those who are otherwise opposed to one another. Do you see that? The zealot, the tax collector. Who makes up downtown Tucson? I asked you at the beginning, what comes to mind when you think of people? Let me ask you, what comes to mind when you think of the people of God? Who's in this room right now? Right? Week in and week out, we have different groups of people. And I am absolutely confident that Jesus has called us here to be His people, to be a demonstration of His work of restoring what is otherwise broken. And that is true in your life, individually. You, I, I've used this term before, I heard it. You're a trophy of God's grace. If you have put your faith in Jesus... You are a trophy of His grace. What is otherwise shameful in your life, what otherwise has no meaning in your life, if you have put your trust in Jesus, He uses that to display His glory all the more. On an individual basis, that is true. And then we together, our differences can be celebrated if shaped by the gospel. Okay, different groups of people will say, oh, it's all the same, you know, coexist. You may have seen that bumper sticker. We're going to be, we're going to find unity as a people just by ignoring our differences. No, but what Jesus does when he authoritatively calls us to come, to lay down our lives, to repent of our brokenness, to repent of our sins against God and against one another, he calls us together to be formed and shaped by his gospel, by his rule, by his authority, so that we don't overlook our differences, but we bring them that are now shaped by his authority, by his gospel. And then we get to now celebrate our differences amongst one another. So, what does this mean for us 
as a church? I think a couple things. One thing I think, it means you own this mission and this vision. Right? If you're a part of Redemption Tucson, if you're a member here, it means that, that, that diversity and our, our desire to see Jesus' people formed and shaped here in downtown Tucson, that's not like my thing, that's not Dave's thing, that's not some of our things. No, it means as a follower of Jesus, we adopt and own His mission of using us to call and form and center and commission His people for His work, for God's glory and our joy and the good of our neighbor. And it also means this, lastly, hear me. If you don't look like me, or if you feel like you don't look like the rest of the people in this room, you're needed here. Okay, this is your church. I I genuinely believe that absolutely central, not just some people's kind of appendage to the gospel, but I think central to the gospel is, is the work of reconciling what is otherwise unreconciled. Okay, Tucson is a diverse place. And I believe that outside of the gospel of Jesus, there is unreconciled diversity. We naturally live at odds with one another. We're opposed to one another. We see people have barricades up and we want to say, get out of my way. You're, you're opposing my agenda. You're, you're in my way. And different groups of people, different demographics, different ethnicities, different age groups. And yet through the person and work and authority of Jesus, we all come. We confess our sin. We repent and we are restored and reformed as his people. Not overlooking our differences, but celebrating them for his glory and for our joy, for the good of our city. So again, I just want to say, if you're older, I'll just be honest. Please stay, come, invite your friends. Okay, if you don't look like a hipster, if you don't wear skinny jeans and have a mustache and, you know, drink craft coffee or whatever it is like don't feel like you don't belong here no you belong all the more all right if you don't see yourself on this stage come pray that god would call and bring his people i'll just be honest as i close right now i'm going to pray i'm praying specifically this month for the scope and the health of our church that jesus would continue to form us and shape us in his, as his unique people, in our diversities, that the demographics of the people who surround us right now as we meet every Sunday don't really look just like all of us in this room. I'm praying that Jesus will call and center and commission his people, the full breadth of his people, for his glory and our joy. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for this time. Lord, thank you even for the uniqueness of downtown Tucson. If we met a couple miles away from here, we would never have to worry about not having enough parking. We would never have to worry about random people coming in and going to the bathroom in our bathrooms and different things that we have to worry about. But um, Lord, we do recognize that, Lord, we meet in a unique part of our city that... um, Lord, that needs you. Lord, we um, live amongst a people, a broken people. Again, we, apart from you, are broken people, individually and corporately. Lord, we've sinned against you and we've sinned against one another, and we live in the aftermath of that. 
In many ways, our city is defined by brokenness, by sin against you and sin against one another. Lord, we pray that you will form us as your people. We trust, Lord Jesus, that you are calling us and centering us and commissioning us through the authority of your good news. Lord, that all of life truly is lived and shaped by your grace, by your undeserved favor through the person and work and authority through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Lord, we now respond to you, our King, our authority, our Savior, our Rescuer, and our Commissioner, the one who has given us purpose and meaning and life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.